Welcome to the 61st episode of the Liam McClum Show. All right, so I think that this is probably one of the more important and powerful podcasts that I've done so far. I invited Misty Winston from Action for Assange on the show, and we talk about Assange, WikiLeaks, and the whistleblowers that you really need to know about. And I especially wanted to have this interview with Misty because now that the United States is fully withdrawn from Afghanistan and the soldiers are completely out, I think that it's important to talk about the Pentagon Papers, the WikiLeaks, the war logs, and everything else that is being excluded from the narrative. And thanks to these whistleblowers and thanks to the journalist Julian Assange, we have all of this information. I want to hop right into this one. I hope you enjoy it. And remember to subscribe to me on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here's Misty. All right, everyone. So I have Misty Winston on. And um, one of the motivating factors that I had to bring her on was just that uh, Yesterday, we found out that one of the U.S. strikes intended for ISIS-K terrorists actually ended up killing seven children. Um, And as I was drafting a tweet, kind of in the context of Daniel Hale and his leaks, I saw that Misty did. So I was like, that's when I knew that I wanted to talk to her. Um, But before we hop into that, Misty, uh, do you just want to introduce yourself, tell a little bit about your background? Um, your activism with Action for Assange and mutual aid and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm Misty. Um, I have been co-hosting the Action for Assange um, online vigils for, oh gosh, I don't even know, like 120 weeks, I think we're at now, something like that. I lose count. Um, But we're a twice-weekly vigil that has been um, dedicated to covering the Julian Assange case um, in its entirety, but not just the Assange case. We also cover other whistleblowers or other journalists who are um, kind of under the boot of empire, like Craig Murray or Daniel Hale or Joshua Schuld or any number of other people. Um, so we try to cover those things because it doesn't seem like much media really does pay much attention to it. Um, and uh, just as far as like my activism and stuff goes, I was more of like a mutual aid girl, um, like, you know, probably t- like 2008 through like 2013 or so, um, 2013, 2014. Um, and then I got started paying more attention to WikiLeaks. And then once Julian was um, essentially kidnapped from the Ecuadorian embassy, that kind of kicked me into hyperdrive. Um, and I really started focusing um, almost exclusively on, uh, you know, Julian Assange, press freedom, free speech, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's where I come from. In a previous interview, I saw that you mentioned that you think Assange and his case is one of the most important issues, if not the most important important issue. Um, Can you just elaborate on that and why you think that is? Um, Because I think that the Assange case, um, a lot of people try to make, when I say that, they say, oh, well, you're just obsessed with this one dude. It's not about this one dude. It's really about uh, the bigger picture, about what this represents. Um, He will be the first journalist ever charged under the Espionage Act, um, which sets, as I'm sure most people can understand, a very dangerous precedent moving forward. Um, And so basically this, this will affect what happens to him, um, you know, whether or not he's extradited and charged in the United or, you know, convicted in the United States, that will impact our ability to effectively fight for anything that we care about. If we don't have the ability, um, uh, the privilege of free speech and press freedom, the ability to share information widely and get our, get our, you know, viewpoints and our, you know, positions out there, um, we're not going to be able to fight for anything that we care about. And so to me, that's what makes this so important. Yeah. And something interesting just about you and the interviews I've seen you in, is just this idea that we really are in a propagandized country. And um, what's so interesting about it is that I think that both the right and the left, at least the portions of the right and the left that aren't covered by the media agree. Because I'll talk to my grandfather who watches Fox News and he watches Fox News, but he knows that it has bias. Mm -hmm. So have you, I guess, being that you are a leftist because I'm, I'm obviously a libertarian, 
um, and you have capitalism as a death cult in the background, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, is there is there a large kind of block of leftists that are still anti-war? Um, are they do they support Julian Assange or do you think that you guys are really a minority? There are some, uh, you know, it's sometimes I feel like there are a lot, um, there are some, um, and then like on a day like today on Twitter, there are a bunch of, you know, so-called communists who uh, are like, I don't care about Julian Assange. And I'm like, so you don't care about war crimes and corruption and rape and murder and torture and all of those wonderful things. Um, you know, they, they see it as, well, we don't even care about the first amendment because we want to destroy America and the constitution and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, fine, that's great. But do you not understand um, how uh, Julian Assange is, nobody has exposed the US empire more than Julian Assange. There's nobody on planet earth who has done more um, to expose the corruption and criminality of the US empire. So for even communists, it's they, they try to paint him as anti-communist. He's not, he's never said that he's anti-communist. He really doesn't have like a hardcore ideology. Um, if anything, he's kind of an anarchist, maybe a little bit libertarian, um, but he's not anti-communist. But you know, they're, again, they're all propagandized too. Um, there's been a decade long smear campaign against Julian Assange and every everybody um, is susceptible to it. And it's really difficult. That's what we're up against. Yeah, really, that it, that is true. And something that's so great is that in the last year, I've been able to talk to leftists more, and I feel like I'm able to sympathize with them more. Um, I'm more likely to talk to someone like you or, you know, some communist on my campus as someone who believes in free market capitalism, like wholeheartedly, I'm, I'm able to identify the same problems, and they're not being covered at all by no. the media. So um, do you want to just dive into what exactly WikiLeaks did and what got Assange in trouble with the United States? Um, well, that's a big question. <laughs> so initially, what really drew their ire? Um, he had published things before 2010, um, you know, just kind of small little things here about different countries. Um, but in 2010, that that was like a massive year for WikiLeaks. It was just leak after leak after leak. I think there were five separate, um, you know, uh, bunches of leaks, like bulk leaks. Um, so uh, the Iraq war logs, the Afghanistan war logs, the collateral murder, which is actually what drew me in initially in 2010. That's when I first started paying attention to WikiLeaks. Um, so that's really what got their the United States attention because that was um, them exposing literal war crimes, like on videotape. Like there's no, you can't walk away from it. It's non-negotiable. It's war crimes being committed on videotape. Um, and if, if you, if nobody is, if you haven't seen that video, if you're watching this or listening to this and you haven't seen that video, I highly recommend going and watching it. It's 38 minutes long. Um, it's a hard watch. It's not, it's not easy um, to watch, but it is murder. It's 360. John Pilcher calls it 360 degree murder. Um, you know, it's, it's literal war crimes. It's the initial attack on journalists. There are two journalists there, both carrying cameras. Um, and then after that attack is done, a van pulls up um, and is trying to deal with the carnage that they have just left. There's, there was a man who was not yet dead um, and was injured. And a, the guy got out of his van to go and help him and lend him aid. Um, and they started shooting again. And there were children in that van. Um, so that's called a double tap when you come back around and you then um, start firing on first responders. Um, and there were also children in that van. And so that was one of the things that really um, got my attention and obviously got the attention of the United States empire as well. And that was Bradley Manning's leak, right? Yes. Okay. Now Chelsea Manning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So do, do you want to um, talk about like the exact claim that the United States had against Assange is, is there something that I, I know it had something to do with like releasing certain names, but he claims that he tried to warn 
officials about this? Okay, so there's a lot that goes into this, actually. I'll try to explain it as quickly and as concisely as I can. Um, So the the actual charge doesn't really have anything to do with him having exposed any names. That is a smear that they use against him to, um, you know, kind of get people mad at him. Oh, well, he put people's lives at risk. Um, The United States government has admitted in court that they cannot prove that that's true in any way. Um, the, The WikiLeaks staff has a very thorough, intense redaction program. Like they go through everything with a fine tooth comb and do everything that they can um, to ensure that, you know, names that people won't be put at risk. Um, So what happened was, is that um, an an author, a journalist, I say that very loosely, he's really a paid propagandist. He works for the Guardian. His name is Luke Harding. Um, He put out a book that included the encryption key for the leaks, which then put out all of the unredacted versions. Um, But people will try to pin that on Julian Assange and say that that was his fault. But that doesn't technically have anything to do with the actual 18 charges that are leveled against him in in the courts right now. Okay. And then in light of the Afghanistan withdrawal, and I mean, today, as we're recording, like the last troops left Afghanistan, um, what do you think, if you could just narrow it down to a few things that that WikiLeaks exposed about the Afghanistan war, what do you think is not being covered right now? Because the entire context of the Afghanistan war and this withdrawal should be the Pentagon Papers, the war logs. It should be everything and it's not being covered at all. Um, so for people who might not be aware of that, what what are some of the more integral things that were exposed? Um, there's really a lot. And I, I mean, I understand that it's, I mean, it's 91,000 pages. It's a lot. It's a lot to go through. Um, there are a lot of people who have done um, like breakdowns where they pick out the most important or the most significant pieces of information. Um, so it's really hard for me to like go through 91 page, not 91,000 pages and tell everybody, you know, what, what you should be looking for. Um, but it, I mean, it's instances of just legit murder, um, you know, drones being fired at children, um, you know, uh, the tal- or I'm sorry, Pakistan working with the tal- like it's a whole there's a whole bunch of just I mean just a ton of stuff that um, had WikiLeaks not been operable had Chelsea Manning not had the courage to pass along the information that we wouldn't have otherwise known it really did show um, what WikiLeaks showed and Julian Assange there's um, actually it's a viral video that's going around right now where he's being interviewed at some festival or something um, and he says that what the Afghanistan war logs release uh, revealed is that um, you know this war was never meant to be winnable. It was never meant to be something that we could go in and win. It was meant to be endless. Um, it was meant to be basically a money laundering scheme. Um, and that's effectively what it's been. And he warned us about that 11 years ago. And if we had listened to him then, uh, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. <laughs> yeah, and this is, this is definitely a topic that both leftists, libertarians, communists agree on that. I mean, from the libertarian perspective, um, is just that the Federal Reserve and the way that they're able to literally put dollars into the bank accounts of Lockheed Martin and just bail these guys out. And the entire purpose of war is to transfer money. And I think the quote is something like, it's, it's supposed to funnel money from the United States and England into Afghanistan and then back into the elite's hands. And mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was spot on about that. Um, and, and what's crazy about this again, it goes back to the, the media and, and um, just like the idea that Washington and, and the elites are both, like both the left and the right are portrayed as a, they're portrayed as being hawks. And, and it would seem as if like the United States and, and everyone 
on the left and the right would also be like this. But if, if I were to go and talk to people about Assange on the ground, I think I would be able to tailor the message a certain way to convince them. And, and it's just strange that these elites in Washington and all of these companies, I mean, we know the reason why. It's exactly what Assange said, is that they're, they're in the pockets of, of these companies. Yes. And they don't, and that's that's why the media doesn't cover Julian Assange in any real way. Um, any coverage is incredibly scarce, and when you, when it does get covered, it's covered really poorly. Um, it's just misinformation. I mean, there was the whole smear campaign um, just before he was um, kidnapped from the Ecuadorian embassy. Like six months leading up to that, they were talking about how he would smear poop on the walls, and he didn't take care of his cat, and all that. It was just nonsense, but it was meant to dehumanize him because they knew that they were going to be pulling out of a, him out of the Ecuadorian embassy, and they needed to manufacture consent for that. And so so they needed everybody to hate him. They needed everybody to think that he was crazy and gross and icky and ooh, ooh that guy's just weird and he's creepy. And it was effective. And that they've, like I said earlier, they, there's been a decade-long smear campaign against Julian Assange. If you if you go back and look at it, every, I mean, there's been all different types of. Uh, Caitlin Johnstone has an amazing, really long article where she goes through like 39 different points um, of smears that have been used against Julian Assange and debunks them. Whether it's he was working with the Russians or he's a rapist or he's a hacker, he's a terrorist or whatever. They've thrown everything in the kitchen sink at this guy in order to like create a comic book villain out of him so that nobody will care when what's happening to him now is happening to him. And what's the current status of his case? Um, okay, so on October 27th and 28th, um, we just recently had um, kind of a preliminary hearing, sort of, I guess. It's kind of, I mean, England... The England court system is a little bit um, wacky. Um, no offense, guys. Don't get mad at me. Um, but it's just, just you know, being a dumb American, it's hard for me to like. I've had to like try to become a, a an expert on UK law, and it's it's definitely different. Um, but they just recently had a case where um, the judge had ruled there were five different points that the U.S. was going to appeal on, and the judge ruled that they could appeal on just three of those. And so two of the points were based on his mental health, his mental condition, um, which was really the only reason why the extradition was denied to him was because Judge Vanessa Brazer felt that he was a suicide risk if he were to be um, extradited to the United States and held in our prison system because it's so oppressive. Um, so the two mental health condition or the two mental health points were she it was ruled that they were not allowed to appeal on that. Um, so we just had like a preliminary hearing where they, the United States was appealing that where, so they were basically appealing to appeal, which is weird, um, but they actually won that. So now um, the U.S. prosecution will be able to appeal on all five points um, of the court case. And so that would go back to court on October 27th and 28th to start hearing. We're basically going to be hearing the entire case all over again. Well, maybe not the entire case because the first um, hearings in September of last year were like three weeks long. Um, but the October 27th, 28th will be like the first step into that process. Now, wasn't there a witness that was proved like that he, he was lying the entire time? Didn't this he came out himself. Yeah, he came out. He, um, so his name is Siggy Thordrison. Um, he is an Icelandic, um, he calls him, he calls himself a hacker. If you talk to anybody that actually knows him, his computer skills are very limited. He's not actually a hacker. Um, he's basically a con man. Um, so he recently, maybe a couple of months ago, gave an interview in the Icelandic magazine student. Um, and uh, he essentially just admitted to fabricating his entire testimony in exchange for immunity from the FBI. Um, this is a guy who is a convicted pedophile. 
Um, he's a con convicted embezzler. He embezzled over $50,000 from WikiLeaks. Um, he was impersonating Julian Assange himself and another hacker um, were like having a, a back and forth pretending to be Assange. And like he was telling the hacker Sabu um, to like hack into people's accounts and all that stuff. Um, that never happened. And so recently he came out and admitted that all of that was fabricated. Um, and that was essentially the only thing that they had going for them as far as this uh, new indictment that they brought forward. And I think it's really important to emphasize that Assange is a journalist. And we you touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, but what are the implications of this then? I, I, I really think that we need to, to flesh this out that he is a journalist. And if people don't understand that, they don't understand the entire case at all. Yes, he is literally a card carrying journalist. Like he has an Australian press card. Like they have cards where you're in like this club, you're a journalist. But even if he didn't have um, a little card, um, he, you know, anybody can be a journalist. You don't have to be like some accredited, you don't have to go to a journalism school or whatever. He is 100% a journalist. He's in the business of publishing. Um, and so I think that that is really important. Um, but I think as far as like the, what the, the implications of this going forward, I can sum that up in one sentence. I've like figured it out how to say it to like get the most impact. It sounds dramatic, but it's true. The United States is seeking global jurisdiction over information and journalism. Boom. That's it. That's what this case means. And they admitted to it in court. Um, they admitted that this doesn't stop with Julian Assange. They admitted that this means that moving forward, the United States um, will have the power and authority to go and arrest any journalist um, or really anybody. Because like I said, anybody could be a journalist. If you publish something on you know, your blog, you could be considered a journalist. Um, so they, they basically admitted in court that they feel like they should have the ability and authority to arrest anybody, anywhere, anytime for publishing something that they don't like. And that should terrify everyone. I think that you said earlier, um, we're a very propagandized country. I think we're probably the most propagandized country on earth. Um, and I think that information control and narrative management is a huge part of our battle moving forward. Um, and so the precedent that this sets and the implications just in terms of information, um, journalism, free speech, just being able to like have conversations, it's really dangerous. Yeah, and then I start to wonder like, I mean, we have these precedents of the New York Times trying to publish leaked papers, and, and we have these Supreme Court cases where they're vindicated. And then you start to wonder why it's the case that they have access to the Pentagon papers or like the Afghanistan papers and stuff like that. And it really seems to be that it's just because they're in line with the narrative. The, the, the reason that they're unwilling to cover the Assange case, the reason that they're I mean, just not covering it at all is, is it seems the reason to be they lie us into every war. The re I mean, our mainstream media in this country is a real threat to us. They're owned and operated by the same corporations that own and operate our government. Um, they are completely intertwined. There's no wiggle room. And in fact, WikiLeaks um, proved that again in 2016 when he released that there were like 60 some odd journalists working directly with the Hillary Clinton campaign. I mean, there were some journalists like Glenn Thrush, who I think worked at the Washington Post at the time, literally sent an email saying, hey, I know that this makes me a hack, but here's my article. You guys want to go through it and check it out before I uh, print it? 
And that's the level of media that we have. I mean, these are people who are um, going to dinner parties with presidential campaigns um, and, you know, hobnobbing and going on vacations. And all. it's a real threat. Like we can't, we don't have like a legitimately free media in this country. We don't have an adversarial media in this country. Um, and that's, that's really dangerous for all of us. I, I mean, we can just look at the way that Afghanistan has been covered um, and the propaganda surrounding that and how, like I said before, they, they lie us into every war. Um, you know, it's a real problem. And that's this, that's what this case really represents is just moving forward. How are we going to be dealing with that? And I mean, we need a complete revamp of our media infrastructure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm actually a student um, at the University of Montana, and I, I'm minoring in journalism. And we have plenty of classes where we discuss the ethics and trends of, of media and stuff. And I've had serious problems with how much they rely on official sources and mm -hmm. it, it's even in the university system it's they're kind of like tr training you to expect to reach out to these officials and you you put their voices out there as if that's the final word yes. um and and it's it's incredibly weird and it i think it's gross but um if if you want to talk about daniel hale now um i refer referenced him at the beginning um as i said I think it's now being reported that seven children were in the mm -hmm. strike yesterday. Um, and, and I just tweeted this earlier. It's, it's so weird there. They're, I think the quote they're using is they're being judicious about releasing the names of the ISIS-K targets, but they're not judicious at all when it comes to the strikes. Um, they're just- But they're precise. Yeah. They're precise. So <laughs> They're not precise. <laughs> exactly. And, and, during that five-month period that, that Daniel Hale was talking about, 90% of strikes killed innocents. So yes. you just want to talk about him um, yes, and where his please. case is at. Nobody talks about him either. Daniel Hale is an amazingly courageous whistleblower. Um, he uh, revealed, if anybody has heard of the drone papers, um, it was released through The Intercept. But if please, just a side note, if you're a whistleblower, don't go to The Intercept. Um, they have burned three sources and hired a guy that burned a fourth. So it's not a safe place. Um, so he released the drone papers to The Intercept, specifically Jeremy Scahill. Um, and basically, like you just said, it, it, it exposed the fact that um, over a five month period, 90% of the people killed by a drone strike were just innocent civilians standing around doing nothing to harm anybody. Um, that's not a great number. That's really, really bad. Uh, but not only did it, it expose that, it also exposed um, the just ridiculousness of the no-fly or the no-fly list um, that you know terrorists would be put on, and how arbitrary it was, and how it was really impossible to get off of it once you were on there. Um, the fact that Daniel Hill releases stuff has helped a, a number of those people battle their case in court and get off of that list, um, which is amazing. Uh, it also exposed the fact that Barack Obama every Tuesday would sit around with a group of people with literally like baseball cards of terrorists and he would decide who would die and who would live that day um and you know that's a, a number of other things were exposed but that's really the biggest parts of it um daniel hale is a really an amazing guy he's the kind of guy who couldn't find a job because you know once you're charged with the espionage act it's pretty difficult to find employment so he managed to get a job as a dishwasher um at a restaurant in tennessee and then got fired for trying to organize the staff so I mean, that's the kind of guy that he is. He's really um, kind of amazing. He, um, you know, doesn't, didn't do this for any attention. He wrote like a, a really, really powerful note to the judge because in what's really terrible about the espionage court, um, the Eastern District of Virginia, you don't get to have um, 
like you don't get to express your, the intent behind your actions. You don't get to like basically put on a defense. Um, and it's re really weird that that's a legal thing that happens in this country. Um, so in, in, in lieu of being able to do that, he wrote a letter to the judge um, expressing the intentions behind why he exposed all of the things that he did. Um, and he said, so I'm going to butcher it, but he said something, you know, um, I'm here because I took something that wasn't mine, uh, human life. And, you know, when he said, I took something that wasn't mine, your first thought goes to the drone papers. And, you know, that, that must be what he's talking about. But no, he was talking about human life. I think that this, he was a drone operator. He um, is, is very haunted by the things that he's done and the things that he's seen. Um, it's literally a guy in a room, like playing a computer game. You know, it's like a little joystick and you just guide it. And then the bomb drops and people die and it's 90% civilians. And um, I think that that's something that he's had a really difficult time with. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that we should be um, celebrating and respecting and he shouldn't be in prison. You know, the likes of Barack Obama should be in prison. Yeah, and, and something important about talking about whistleblowers is to make the distinction again between Assange and whistleblowers. And I think that there are some people who will defend Assange, but not the whistleblower, right? Mm -hmm. They'll be like, the people who provided the information to Assange should be arrested, whereas Assange should be free. But I, th I think that we really need to go a step further and, and defend whistleblowers per se. So that's literally you know, what my shirt says, protect whistleblowers. Great. <laughs> yeah. So if, if there's anything else you want to say about that. Um, I think I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think that there are those people who recognize the threat um, uh, that the case against Julian Assange. Um, but I think that there's also a threat when we don't protect our truth tellers and people will always say, well, they should have gone through proper channels and all this stuff. Every whistleblower that I know of attempted to go through proper channels first. Um, but when those proper channels are the people that you're trying to expose, those people are also complicit in the things that are happening. Um, that's not a good, but how, how are you supposed to get them to examine and, and um, admit their own wrongdoing? That's not going to happen. Um, and so at a certain point, these people reach a kind of crisis of conscience where um, they have no other choice but to go to the media and to expose these things. Um, and we should be encouraging that. We should be encouraging that. We should be protecting those people. Um, you know, they, they, again, they should be celebrated. Uh, these are people who are exposing the corruption and criminality within our government. And anybody who cares about this country or about freedom or about like having a civil society should care about being able to expose criminality and corruption within your own government. Um, they're doing things, you know, on our dime, under our name, that we have no idea what they're doing. And it's, you know, we need to have those things out in the open. And that needs to be addressed. Those crimes need to be addressed. What's really frustrating to me is that time and time again, we punish the truth teller and the criminals walk free. Barack Obama's not in jail. Dick Cheney's not in jail. George Bush isn't in jail. Donald Trump's not in jail. Joe Biden should be in jail. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, Susan or uh, what's your name, uh, Samantha Power, all of these people should be in jail. They're not, they're going to parties on Martha's Vineyard and Daniel Hale and Julian Assange sit in jail instead. And it's not right. Yeah, and, and you made a point there that uh, I actually tweeted something out. I think, I think it was two days ago about um, the fact that these strikes are done in our name. And this is, this is more of a libertarian point, I think against taxation and the, and the current way that things are operated. Um, one of the arguments that, uh, Osama bin Laden makes in his messages to the world when when pressed by I, I think it was Al Jazeera was like how can you justify the attacks on the twin towers and and he says well the the United States citizens support the politicians and the United States voted them 
or the citizens voted them in, they pay for the wars through taxation, something like that. And this theory of representation that we continue to reinforce, I mean, feeds into that argument. They yes. don't represent us. Th these guys are forcing you to pay for a war that we can't conscientiously object to. So I, I think that, I mean, that's an important point too. An important point too. Um, and, and on the Obama point, uh, I don't know if you saw, I think it was two days ago, there was a tweet trending about the tan suit and oh, how that, yes yeah how that was That's the his only... big scandal <laughs> yeah he and... extrajudicially murdered american citizens no trial no nothing he just like murdered them but the yeah. tan suit's the problem okay i yeah, hate no. liberals i hate liberals <laughs> they're so stupid i honestly oh so stupid this guy was uh, he's a monster they're all monsters that we're run by so uh, psychopaths all of them every last one of them and it doesn't matter if you're team red or team blue they're all psychopaths all it is is a different cover on the same book they're all owned and operated by the same people they're all working towards the same agenda they just come about it with different rhetoric that's all it is they yeah. don't give a shit about you they don't give a shit about me they don't care they want us divided they want us fighting amongst ourselves over you know whatever differences of opinion that we have on certain issues so that we're not paying attention to the real problem and the real problem is the system of governance that we have. Um, it's corrupt. It's completely corrupt to its core. And it doesn't, rep you're right, it doesn't represent us. None of those people care um, anything about what we want or what benefits us. It's all about what benefits their donors. And it's across the board. Um, I hate all politicians equally. So I think a lot of like right-leaning people, because I'm a leftist, like they'll start talking to me and they'll be like, oh yeah, well, Barack Obama. And I'm like, yeah, I hate him too. What's your point? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They think that that's like a gotcha moment. It's not, I hate him too. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, again, just to reinforce what Daniel Hale provided for us, um, it was like 90% of, of the drone strikes killed innocents. And then there's also the case of Libya, where they it was a completely unconstitutional law, um, war. I think they actually, I don't know if Congress shut it down, or but and then he proceeded to do it. There's something like that. But now the war, I mean, it resulted in chattel slavery in the 21st mm -hmm. century. And yeah, there's, there's open air slave markets in Libya, which was before our um, invasion, uh, the most prosperous nation in Africa. Um, it was doing very well. And we went in and destroyed it because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, the, the, what's what people fail to realize is that since the 2001 AUMF, we don't they don't have to um, declare war. We're, we're all over the place. We don't have to declare it because we're fighting terrorism. Um, and so we they basically have carte blanche. They have no accountability. They have they don't have we have no ability to challenge their authority to start dropping bombs on somebody. Yeah. Um, and that's a real problem. Yeah. And the, the probably the more important case that we need to bring up is, is Yemen. And just the fact that Obama literally placated the Saudis. That's, that's the phrase that Scott Horton uses. And actually the, the Obama administration used that they, they were going to placate the Saudis because of the Iran deal. So we were going to give them weapons and give them air coverage and everything just to bomb the waterways of this of this country and starve completely their poor devastated country already it wasn't in a great spot to begin with and now we're part actively participating in a genocide in yemen um and it's disgusting and the saudis are um you know if you really want to be mad at somebody for 9 11 there's your people it's funny we didn't invade saudi arabia it's funny how that works right yeah all, all the talk of Afghanistan women and, and withdrawing. Right. We, I, we care I, about I, the women. Yeah. <laughs> I, I the women and children. Exactly. <laughs> Again, to go back to my tweets, because I'm I'm obsessed with Twitter. I, I tweeted something <laughs> I tweeted something out about like like Saudi Arabia or 
Afghanistan and the Taliban need to get on the level of Saudi Arabia's treatment of women before we respect them. Right. Just being ironic. It's um, completely nonsensical. It makes me laugh. It honestly makes me laugh. The fact that we pretend to care about women and children or that we care about humanitarian causes. It's so laughable. It's ridiculous. It's that grown adults, grown adults buy into that nonsense is it leaves me very little hope for the future because we don't care about human. Are you kidding? We're starving children right now in Yemen, like starving them to death. Right now, we're allowing women and children to be brutalized by Israel right now. We don't care about that. It has not, it's, it has nothing to do with that. All we care about is profit, yeah. resources and profit. That's it. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard the argument made about Saudi Arabia. It's like, well, the reason that we support them, even though they are brutal, is they're strategic allies. And it's like dollar, baby, petrodollar. <laughs> if you're going to make excuses there, like why it just, it doesn't make any sense at all. We're hypocrites but, um, of the highest order. Yeah. And, and now if there's another whistleblower that you think needs to be, I, I'm sure you, you want to talk about all of them, but um, you mentioned <laughs> some other names. Um, the, the only one that I could really think of to mention um, specifically right now, again, there are lots. Um, there's, a, I mean, there's a journalist in um, Scotland right now who's in jail, Craig Murray. I highly recommend everybody check out his case. What's happening to him is really terrible. Um, but also, I would also mention Joshua Schultz. Um, he's the alleged Vault 7 whistleblower, which if people don't know what Vault 7 is, um, it was a WikiLeaks release. It was the largest CIA leak in history. Um, exposed a lot of things, a lot of really creepy crap that they're able to do and get into your smartphones and your TVs and your car, like they can hijack your car and all that. Um, so I would definitely recommend looking into Vault 7, but Joshua Schultz is just the alleged Vault 7 whistleblower. They've admitted that they can't really prove that it was him. Um, they've already, he's already had one trial and it came back as a, well, what do they call it? Um, uh, hung jury or whatever, like they couldn't actually convict him. Um, and so rather than, you know, let him go or whatever, nope, they're keeping him in prison. Um, they're going to retry him and he's being held under special administration, special administrative measures, which if people don't know what special administrative measures is, it's literally hell on earth. It's um, a part of our prison system where they essentially throw you in a hole and like lock the door and you, you no longer exist. Um, you have very limited contact to actual human beings. The guards are trained to not speak to you at all. Um, you spend 23 hours a day in your cell. Um, when you're taken out of your cell, you're basically put in another cell <laughs> that's outside. And it's like a tiny little cell. And that's the only access to like outside that you get. Um, you uh, The list of people who are allowed to come and visit you is very, very small. Um, they have to be approved by the prison system. And then your meetings with them are spied on by an FBI agent who sits in the room with you. Um, it is really, really terrible stuff on the action for Assange vigils. We've done multiple shows where we've really dug into what special administrative measures are. Um, I honestly can't believe that it's a thing that's allowed in this country. It's really abhorrent treatment of people. Um, so I would definitely just keep an eye on Joshua Schultz case. I don't know. Um, I can't remember when his next court date is. Um, I want to say sometime in September, but I could be wrong. So, um, but yeah, I would definitely, it's S-H-U-L-T-E. Um, yeah, he's, again, they can't even prove that it was him, but his court case has uh, been ongoing for some time now. And the fact that he's being held in special administrative measures is really terrible. Nobody should be held in that kind of treatment. So um, again, there are lots of other whistleblowers that we could talk about, but I don't want to go on too long. So um, yeah, I would just, any whistleblower, like just, if you hear about a whistleblower, um, you know, check it out, check out their story, share their story drum up support for them. We need to, as a people, rally behind our truth tellers. 
Yeah, and then so back to Assange. Um, do you have any hope for Assange under Biden, or do you think it's? <laughs> That's a really loaded question. Um, I tell people all the time: if I didn't have a tiny bit of hope in my cold, dead heart, I wouldn't do what I do. Um, but I think that it, the only thing that's going to help Julian Assange is going to be mass public pressure. Um, that's really the only thing that ever gets anything done. And they have the Biden administration has made no they, they've never been. I mean, he called Julian Assange a high tech terrorist, which is the exact same phrase that Mitch McConnell used. So you want to see they're all on the same team. They're all on the same team. Um, so Joe Biden is no friend to press freedom. He's no friend to Julian Assange. Um, it's going to be a really difficult fight. Um, it's a fight worth making, though. Again, it's not necessarily just about Julian Assange. His life is definitely worth fighting for. Um, the things that he's done, we should be rallying behind him um, in support. Um, but it is just so much bigger than that. It really is just so much bigger than that. This really is, um, it's kind of a turning point, in my opinion, in human history. We're going to go one of two ways here. Um, and I really don't want to go straight into fascism. I mean, you know, we're already almost there. That would really kind of seal the deal. So, um, you know, I think that the only thing that we're going to, I mean, it, 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 there's so many things that people can do. You can write letters, you can make phone calls, you can organize events, you can, you know, share the story on Twitter and Facebook and social media in general, um, talking to friends and family and neighbors. Um, and I get that something that people say to me all the time is that, you know, oh, I want to talk to somebody, but it's like, I don't know everything. You don't have to know everything. The Assange case is really complicated. It's over a decade long. Um, again, there's a shit ton of smears about him out there. It's really hard to combat a lot of that stuff. Um, but there are lots of resources out there that people can use. Um, and that, you know, if somebody asks you a question about it and you don't know, look it up or come find me on Twitter. I'm happy to help anybody at any time. Um, but there, I mean, there are ways that you can do it. It's just a really necessary conversation. Most people either don't know who Julian Assange is at all, or they're completely misinformed about who he is. Um, and so that's really the barrier that we have to break through. It's just getting the information out there because I think once most people, once most, um, you know, smart, independent thinking people are presented with the actual facts of the case, um, it's very easy to get them to see why this is important. Yeah, and, and my worry is that I, I, I think your point is, is very correct that it, it's not just about Assange. It's bigger than Assange. If, if Assange were to be freed, if, if the case, if he were to win the case, it's totally possible just the trajectory of where things are going that there's another person. Just Absolutely. Because that, so, so it really is bigger. Um, yes. And people need to be informed about it and, and just on the lookout for cases like this, uh, mm -hmm. especially involving journalists, because um, I think I think about on your point about fascism, I think we're here. Yes, <laughs> I think 2020 and the transfer of money, the transfer. I, I think everyone's aware of that, um, hopefully. Um, Most people. So, yeah, we're 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 there. And this I, I, I think you've convinced me that this is probably one of the more important issues just because it the scope of it, it encapsulates war, it encapsulates empire, it it encapsulates everything um, mm -hmm. be because what we can talk about, I mean, that's, that's one of the that's more huge. important, yeah, right. That's a huge part of the battle. <laughs> Just what, what are we allowed to talk about? If you can't talk about it, you can't effectively fight. So, you know, that's, that's why I feel like it's one of the more important issues out there right now. 
Yeah. So Misty, if you want to just tell people where they can find you, where they can help Assange, where they can get active with action for Assange, please do. And then we can let you go. Okay. So um, you can find me on Twitter at sarcasm stardust. I'm there all the time and I'm always happy to help on Assange stuff. Feel free to hit me up. Um, you can find action for Assange. Um, we are on every Tuesday at 9 PM Eastern, every Saturday at 1 PM Eastern. Um, we do a two hour show. We have a bunch of really amazing guests on different whistleblowers, journalists, activists, all that stuff. Um, and it, we also have a website actionforassange.com. Um, you can go there. There's like a whole ton of calls to action, um, that we have put out, whether it's, you know, uh, addresses for letters that you can send or emails or phone numbers or different, you know, events that you can host or whatever. We are always willing to help if you um, are interested in organizing in your own community. Um, we're happy to help you get started. We will do whatever we can to make it successful, whether it's promoting it or finding you people to organize with, whatever you need. Um, there's a ton of other places that you can go. Um, his partner's name is Stella Morris, um, S-T-E-L-L-A-M-O-R-I-S, one R, one S. Um, she has a Twitter page and she also has a crowd justice um, fundraiser out because um, the taxpayers are paying for the case against Julian Assange. He has to fund his defense. Um, and as I'm sure you can imagine, going up against the largest empire on earth is pretty expensive. Um, so if you can donate to that, that's great. Um, there's also um, uh, Assange Defense, which is a great organization that does a lot of um, activities and organ like organizing and all that. Um, there's lots of um, stuff and information out there. I mentioned the Caitlin Johnstone article. It's called Debunking Assange, if you need that in your back pocket. Um, in case you get hit up with some of the smears or whatever. Um, there's a ton of resources out there. Don't hesitate to ask me or somebody else who's, you know, um, involved in the Assange uh, activism space. We're all, I mean, we're always happy to have more people on board. We need more people on board. Um, we need more people to get involved, to get loud, get active. Like I said, it's going to take mass public pressure to turn this around. Yeah. And I'm going to link to all of that stuff. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's the weekend and we can let go